Welcome to the alternative. Radiator questions virtual reality. Sponsored by ISEDN.org. Is there life beyond the big four search engines? Are webmasters spending more than they need to? Or leaving money on the table? What opportunities exist on the margins? Spend the next hour exploring paid and free alternatives to the major search engines. Now, step into the alternative with your host, Jim Hedler. Welcome to The Alternative on Thursday, May the 3rd, 2007. Um, it's going to be kind of a, a neat show today. We're going to be doing it half live and half taped from SES New York. Um, we were going to have Aaron Wall on today, but he had to drop off at the last minute. But we got some great interviews coming out to round out the hour. At the beginning, we got a total treat. We have the legendary Dan Sees. Uh, he'll be coming on with us in a couple of minutes, but I think Dave and I want to talk about a couple of things first. Dave, are you over there? I'm here, I'm here, and you're finally in the same city as me. It's like we don't even live anywhere close to each other. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be, like, a much easier show, because, like, you know, I'm sitting at my desk, got my coffee in front of me, and, you know, everything is within reach, got my, uh, both monitors going. So, yeah, it's going to be, like, way easier than the last show. Um, before we launch in, because we got a we got a pretty packed show here, I have a sort of a question for you, or, or give me your impression. Uh, Dig, I was hoping uh, we would have Neil on today, but uh, but unfortunately I couldn't get in touch with him. Hopefully next week he'll be able to come on and, and let me know uh, his feelings on this. Um, but but what are your thoughts of the the recent uh, sort of kerfuffle? Oh, I'm I, I'm really interested in what happened at Dig and what's 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 still happening. Um, you know how that went down. Uh, the a uh, DVD and H an HD DVD code was released, um, an, a decryption code, and um, when faced with a cease and desist or, order, the uh, the founders of Dig decided to remove the post, and within minutes, um, it, their user base freaked out and started posting and promoting um, articles or blog posts that had that same code in it. Within eight hours, the owners of the site, the founders of the site, sort of threw in the towel and gave it back to the user base and said, okay, the users have spoken. If we're going to face legal action, um, this is what the users wanted. Um, I think it's probably the most public user revolt um, in the history of the net, but it's, in, it's indicative of something that's been going on since the very early days. People want to trade information freely and feel they should be able to trade information freely if it's electronic. So... I think um, what happened at Dig is all about all about the users um, saying they're 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 directly in control. Well, you're right, and I, I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head that this is indicative of, of really the entire past and the entire evolution, you know, right up into the modern day uh, discussions over net neutrality and stuff. We've created this environment that we we believe in and hope to be fairly democratic, um, and then to just have. Yeah, your ability to take out your opinion or, or to take away the free exchange of ideas um, removed. Well, yeah, I, I, but I do, I do want to get in here. Um, we live in a democratic society um, that, that's based on the creativity of others um, or the creativity of ourselves, and that creativity itself has to be protected. Um, I'm personally not, not, not against copyright laws, although I do have problems with the archaic copyright laws that are in place over digital content. Mm -hmm. But um, I think I'd be the last one to argue that content creators shouldn't be paid for their work. <laughs> no, that's, that's an entirely valid point. I think the problem that Dig got into here, and, and yeah, I suppose I should have, should have noted that. I mean, I was 
I, I get upset when people take my stuff, and, and anybody should. Um, I think the problem was with perception on Dig, that it just sort of came out of the blue. All of a sudden, this content gets, gets ripped off. Well, like, I mean, ripped off in that it's torn Or, or removed place. suddenly, yeah. Or removed, yeah. Where that was never really presented to the users as a possibility. I mean, of course, it's always there. It should always be there. Um, but, you know, the, the users themselves obviously had no idea that this was some sort of possibility. They viewed it, I don't know how they viewed it, um, but that they had just sort of free game. I mean, would anybody, would there be a big uproar if somebody had taken off, uh, for example, child pornography or, or something like that off of it? No, no, we'd all, you know, rally behind them and totally agree with everything they're saying. So it, it's the choice of content. Either way, it's illegal, but... Um, it's this perception by the user that this is only information, and so you don't have a right to take that away. Um, well, well, yeah, and, and partially also. I mean, got, we got to remember that this information was already in the public domain and had been there for several months. Um, Wired Mag- back in the end of uh, February, Wired Magazine had published an article containing the the the, the cracked code, um, the the digits, uh, the numer- alphanumeric crack code, um, and sometime around one o'clock on Monday. Um, or I should say on Tuesday, the uh, Diggs co-founder, um, Jay Adelson, went to try to uh, explain why the material was removed. He clearly didn't know what was about to come down the pipe because eight hours later, his uh, partner, Kevin Rose, uh, wrote the wrote the, the post that threw in the towel. Um, and again, I think I, this is really indicative of the, of the history of the Internet. And um, as a good segue into, into Dan Thies, I think the history of the Internet uh, is, is a remarkable segue. It is indeed. Is he with us now? Yeah, he's over there somewhere. Dan, are you, you around? I am. Wonderful. Segways work, eh? <laughs> uh, they, they, they should be our main mode of transportation. <laughs> All right, shall we uh, shall we launch in here, Dan? Thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a it's a pleasure, always a pleasure to chat with you. Enjoyed chatting with you in New York, and certainly uh, no less of a pleasure to have you on our show uh, on our show today. You have uh, let's just start right out here. You had a, a bit of a something new coming for people, uh, a free offering. I wanted to get straight to that to make sure we don't miss it. But there's also a, obviously a few other things I'd like to chat with you about. Well, for the folks that have been around uh, for a while, a lot of them have already read my uh, SEO Fast Start book. And, uh, you know, I was just finishing up the, the copy um, just now. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I have not updated that book, I, I sold a lot of them, thousands of them, but I haven't updated it since 2004. In fact, I've been giving it away for a couple of years. And um, what I've found out in talking to a lot of people at, at events like Search Engine Strategies, a lot of the time, even though that book is three years old, and a lot of agencies and, and, and consultants still hand that book as the first thing for a new hire to read. And I've been getting a lot of requests to update it. So we've actually finished um, finished the update of that, and so we're going <coughs> to launch that now. And it's going to remain free. I'm not going to bother trying to sell it. But we have some other plans for it to try to build sort of a bigger community around it. Excellent. Any sort of tips before we launch in as to what might, uh, what sort of, are the biggest changes going to be happening over the version uh, three years ago? Well, um, you know, it was, uh, when I first wrote it, the editorial decision was to keep it under 100 pages. And it was, you know, sort of step-by-step instructions. And it was really mostly designed to give beginners kind of a track to run on, not to tell you everything you'd ever want to know 
about SEO and not uh, not to talk about every possible method or technique, but to really give people sort of a track to run on. And, and I've tried to preserve that as much as possible to give it to give it um, sort of that same kind of feel, sort of a step by step, a track to run on for beginners. But the big difference is that. I, I have taken sort of everything that I've learned over the last 10 years, and a lot of that has been sort of mapping out the things that we do in SEO into processes. And so the book now isn't so much step-by-step as it is driven by processes that we have diagrammed in, in flowcharts and things like that. And the point of that is is that no matter what your skill level, no matter how much you know now, um, you, you can still um, sort of agree on what's the overall process, what, what should the process be for doing SEO. We start with keyword strategy, we move on to sort of organize the website, we optimize the web pages. And so the overall process, I think, is something we can all agree on. The, the steps within that process are, are, are I think, pretty well um, defined and pretty agreeable to everyone in SEO. But if you want to pull out and not use my fast start process for um, you know mapping keywords to web pages, or not use my process, which is very basic for optimizing the copy on a page, that's fine. You can still use that that same process map and, and that same uh, method to kind of put some structure to what you're doing. Because a lot of people do this stuff kind of um, uh, sort of off the cuff, and and a lot of people are very good at it because they've been doing it for a long time. But it makes it hard, especially you know for someone who's found some success as a consultant, for example, it makes it hard to scale up and hire that second person and that third person if you don't have the processes defined. So, well, Dan, um, yes. for the, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, for the last decade, you've been all about giving away information for free, participating in forums, um, being there sort of as a, a guide and mentor to other SEOs. How, how have you managed to keep up with changes and, and uh, techniques over the last 10 years? Well, I do a little bit of SEO for myself. Um, the biggest thing for me is that um, I have a coaching program. I have a, a small group of students. That it's been as big as 20 people, and now we're down to, I think, eight, which is probably the right size for where I am right now. And so I work with these people on their websites, and some of them have a lot of websites, some of them have client websites, and some of them are just working on, on one side of their own. And doing that, um, one lets me, um, you know, try different things with people that are willing to, you know, to step outside of the box a little bit to test uh, different ideas, to use a lot of different strategies, and to apply them in a lot of different markets. Which, uh, you know, for me, doing SEO on SEO is kind of boring. <laughs> and yeah. and a lot of the stuff that you know, if you're in an internet marketing business, will, um, you know, you could almost forget about SEO if you're good at article marketing because uh, the, the amount of traffic that you get, and, and uh, Jim, I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with this, the amount of traffic that you can get from one good article, um, you know, it, it's more than you can get by being number one for search engine optimization on Google. Um, and especially the quality of the traffic is better. But in other markets, that's not necessarily the case. So we have to, you know, kind of apply the same uh, sort of structure, the same process, and investigate what's the, the best thing in a market. And sometimes that takes time. But you know, for for me to be able to have that group of students that's kind of, you know, there's some stability there, but people do, you know, people do come and go, and I do bring new people in every now and then. It lets me stay sharp, and it lets me help people, and um, and that's, you know, that's what's, you know, the, probably the most fun about it is, is being able to, to help people kind of change their business and, and you know, in some sense change their lives. Well, from watching what you've been up to lately, you're moving uh far beyond the 8 to 12 student model, and, and you're going into this, like, mass online education. Um, Dan, what's Stompernet? 
Well, okay. Um, if you if you have to ask, Stompernet is something that um, <laughs> is probably very unfamiliar to a lot of the people that are listening right now, uh, because it, it more happened sort of is it was a bigger event in the internet marketing or kind of business opportunity type of world. Um, it was actually um, uh, possibly the the biggest uh, single day product launch uh, in the internet marketing world, um, and they signed up uh, over eighteen hundred people. Uh, in one day, in fact, in a few, in a few hours, uh, last October, to join this this sort of private membership community, um, you know, it's it was uh, <clears throat> not an easy thing to do that because they were actually asking people to commit to eight hundred dollars a month for a year uh, to join. And uh, what they ended up with was a whole lot more people signing up than they expected. They expected a few hundred. This is um, a couple of guys you may know, Brad Fallon and Andy Jenkins, who have been oh, yeah. teaching on SEO and internet marketing for a number of years themselves. And when they got that many people, um, they didn't, you know, they, I guess they could have just gone and bought an island or, or you know, bought a boat and, and, and disappeared and, and really only delivered what they sold. But what they did instead was go out and start immediately recruiting people to join the faculty. And, um, you know, fortunately, I knew those guys, um, you know, for years, so I was one of the first folks that they invited in. But we have people that are you know, world-class experts in SEO, in fact, so much so that, that I hardly have anything to do with the SEO curriculum other than link building. Um, I'm actually doing pay-per-click, AdWords, Yahoo, that sort of thing um, as the content that I'm bringing into the portal. Well, we've got experts on, on conversion, blogging, um, y- you name it, all, every, everything from you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of Internet marketing to uh, higher-level stuff like how to run your business. And uh, they're actually doing a relaunch right now, and uh, the cool thing that they're doing is, um, you know, especially probably of interest to people that you know already have a business or you know already you know consider themselves somewhat professional, is that they're doing this dollar trial thing. So um, so people will actually be able to uh, join um, uh, and and pay a dollar for the first thirty days and get a look into the portal and see what all we have in there. They won't be able to see all of the content. They'll be able to watch something like the first ten percent of every every video that we have, but you know we've got over four hundred hours of content, so that's still something like forty five hours that'll be accessible to the, the trial members. So um, that that's at stompertrial.com, and uh, we've been having a lot of fun with the launch, uh, you know, recording some some video case studies from our members, and uh, we actually had uh, Andy Edmonds, who used to work at MSN, uh, is now uh, working with us on faculty and has this incredible. Uh, Study that, that he's done on, on eye tracking and the whole idea of the, the plus a seven plus or minus two, which is the idea that your brain can only chunk so many things, and how that applies to web design. And and uh, I watched that, and in about eight minutes, it just changed everything that I've ever thought about how to design navigation on a website. And so you know we can we can do stuff like that, and we can get that kind of content in depth for people that are that are you know members of of, of our community. But we can also share some of that stuff with the, the larger internet, whether they join us or not. So, who's going to benefit the the most by this by this new launch, or, or who really is is the new target market? I mean, you, you mentioned things like eye tracker studies. Okay, that that's great to you and me and, and Jim, I'm sure. Um, you know, people who have sort of a, a more advanced idea on on how marketing works and would understand what they were saying, but. Um, you know, is a is a small is it presented in a way that a small business owner can also access this information and understand what no, it's the, saying? the content really goes at all levels. We have um, not not just um, not just that kind of advanced content that's being added in now because we didn't really expect to have to deliver that kind of stuff, but there's been a demand for it. Um, and then you know, Andy became available, and of course they snapped him up. 
but um, but the uh, the actual the thirty day trial is actually more geared towards sort of the the newbie, somebody that's trying to start a business online. And we've come up with this um, this methodology for teaching, and so there's a, it's sort of a thirty day track where people can um, can get started with you know from the very beginning of a researching a market to to doing the keyword research to building a, uh, you know sort of a mini website. And for that, we've decided to kind of focus on uh, you know some very narrow um, areas. So the the idea isn't necessarily that you're you're going to take this this business model that we're teaching you, and that'll be your your business forever. But it does give us a platform and a way to teach people the fundamentals of of, of internet marketing. We can teach them about SEO. We can teach them about email marketing. We can teach them about uh, doing pay per click and things like that. And you know, there's sort of enough training wheels on there that you, that people don't go off track by trying to trying to make a whole lot of decisions. Or, uh, you know, there's always some new shiny thing that somebody's waving at you, telling you it's the greatest thing ever, and you should do this, and you'll you'll be a millionaire tomorrow. And you know, for anybody that's actually either gone through that experience or or taken the time to inspect those things, um, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's not the it's not the cure for everything. You still have to do the work. And so the idea with this is that. During that that first thirty days, when people are on that trial for a dollar, that they can they can find out um, you know find out um, a lot about uh, about internet marketing. Well, Dan, having you on, um, it's impossible not to want to ask about the the history of the industry, the history of search optimization, um, or the the history of technique. Um, I'm hoping in the next fifteen minutes we can get to all of the above. Um, to you, what are the biggest changes that have happened? Um, in the last ten years, and then in the last five years. Well, I, I think that um, you know, first of all, the 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 stakes have changed. Um, <laughs> that is, you know, back when I started doing search engine optimization, we call it search engine positioning back then, or search engine ranking. But um, you know, I once had the number one ranking on InfoSeek for the word sex for fifteen minutes, and um, dude, fortunately, your rankings can last longer than that now. Um, but unfortunately, you actually have to climb a, a much higher mountain to get there, uh, and so um, you know the, the stakes are a lot higher. That, it, that is, there are there are you know now you know places you can get to on the search result page that might be worth um, you know, millions of dollars a day in 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 revenues and profits in the right industry, and and so in that in that kind of a climate, um, you've got a lot more people playing and and, and a lot more people willing to invest resources. Uh, but on the other hand, the, on the positive side, you know, kind of the stuff that people used to do to, to game the system and, and, you know, kind of hack things around. I remember um, getting really mad one time because somebody was beating me on several search engines because they had this script to, to put fake clicks to direct hit to boost their rankings. And, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, just doesn't work anymore. And I think that that's been positive for the industry and, and for all of us as kind of a community is that there isn't necessarily so much of this big white hat versus black hat thing anymore because, um, you know, I mean, black hat now, um, you know, to me kind of boils down to if you're actually doing phishing or scams or stuff like that, um, you're doing something truly evil. Um, you know, the gray hat is sort of, you know, the guys that are willing to step over the, the lines of what the search engines are trying to tell us to do by doing things like, you know, buying links or whatever. But, you know, is that really that bad? I mean, it's also advertising um, and and so it's a lot easier now for us to get along and communicate, um, mostly because a lot of the stuff that that we used to kind of rail about and, and, and you know uh, try to stop people from teaching and stuff like hidden text and things like that that just you know just plain doesn't work anymore. So the evolution of the industry has been more towards 
well, uh, the, the evolution of the industry has basically moved black hats right out of the industry. That doesn't work anymore. And now, I guess the black hat or the gray hat stuff is what Matt Cutts declares um, illegal, um, sometimes quite arbitrarily. Well, I, 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 you know, I, the, the, I guess the thing with with that, and there's been this recent kind of rhubarb about about Matt asking for data on, you know, paid paid links and things like that. Now, I kind of have a different take on what their intent is with that, and I, I, you know, I don't have the huge reaction. I mean, if they were saying you know, we're going to punish you for buying links, well, um, you know, then I, I think that 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 we have a reason to all stand up together and say, wait a minute, you know. How do you know what the intent is there? But I, I really don't think that that's what it's for. I mean, we've all known for a long time. I mean, that that the search engines all would like to stop counting paid links in in their ranking algorithms, and, you know, in, in especially a particular class of paid links, not the ones that are you know like a, you submit to the Yahoo directory and you put money at risk, and a human editor reviews it and possibly rejects your site because that's happened to me. Um, you know what? What they're what they're really after is the is the ones that are kind of stuffed over there on the side, or you know, um, you know hidden in, inside of, of of blog posts and and that kind of stuff. And I mean, we we all really, if we're honest with with ourselves and with each other, we can tell the difference between those things um, for the most part. I mean, there may be some gray areas, but I think they're pretty small. But you know what? We've known for years that that the search engines didn't want to count those links. We've known since uh, since Bob Massa sued Google over the the thing with Search King. Um, you know, it's five years ago, I'm so old now. But, um, but you know, we've known that for a long time. And so, you know, for us to all stand up and scream and say, oh, you know, they're changing the rules on us again, well, no. Uh, what's really happening is that they're getting a lot better at um, really, you know, sort of enforcing the standards that they want. But what I'm expecting to come out of this is that the software that they have, um, that they're working on to sort of identify those paid links and, and filter them out is it's being used and being deployed, and the intent is to basically say, if you're selling links and you won't put a no-follow tag on it for us, then we're going to deploy this software and try to find those links, and we'll put a no-follow on it for you, at least in our own index. And that's not really, you know, the the huge disaster. I mean, um, I know a, a lot of my students buy advertising, and, you know, they don't always take the time to try to explain what no-follow is when they're buying that ad. Um, but the advertising works as advertising. One of the things I think that more than more than anything else kind of um, has made you know the the black hat white hat issues go away is that um, a lot of the black hat stuff that you might have done before, um, and you know there's still people out there running scripts that spam blogs and things like that, and that's not going to go away for a long time. But but what's uh, what's really sort of come out, and and you know I hope I've had something to do with it, is is to get people to understand that old-fashioned marketing and promotion and public relations and all that stuff can make you money and get you links at the same time. And so there's not much point to going and renting you know links at forty bucks a month or fifty bucks a month for a decent link when I can take the same amount of resources and put that into sort of traditional marketing and make money back and get some links at the same time. And so, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, maybe it's back to the future. Maybe we're all finally realizing what we never, what we were, for, what we forgot when SEO was so so easy, and and you know, all you had to do was throw up a throw up a page, put a title and a heading tag on it. Woohoo! I'm on the first page. <laughs> um, you know, now that it's gotten tougher and that the competition has stiffened up, it's become more of a problem of of do you have the resources to compete? So the people that are out there, you know, renting their rankings with with paid links, I think are are hurting themselves uh, versus people that are out there doing the work to try to find effective marketing strategies that will also generate some links for them. Because 
I've done a lot of things that made me a lot of money, and the things that made me the most money in marketing also got me the most links. A, a very good point. Now, Dan, we, we spent a bit of time here discussing, um, you know, sort of the past and, and how it's evolved till now. I'd like to flash forward with one of my favorite questions to ask people who, who understand the industry, um, and, and you certainly qualify there and probably have one of the longest histories I've had to ask on the show uh, in this, is where do we see this going over the next couple of years? There's obviously a few different theories. Google's launched personalization. Okay, how's that going to go? Um, you know, our, our, our market's going to start, or our searcher's going to start going to specific verticals. If so, you know, will the engines themselves start creating new verticals to, to accommodate that, or will they just start using, or will users start using different engines? Um, what is your feeling on the next, say, year to 18 months and the evolution of, of search technology and, and how that's going to... Well, going I, to I, was, uh, I was looking at my iGoogle today, um, and... <laughs> For That's me, a stupid name. I'm sorry. That's such a dumb name. Maybe I've been searching too much. I don't know. Um, maybe I've been doing this stuff too long. But to me, it looks like um, a half-baked attempt at, at starting a portal when they don't really have stuff behind the portal. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I just want my, my, my flat page with a search box on it back. And fortunately, they gave me a link I could click to, to go there. But... Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, in the long run, you know, everybody um, is going to be, uh, you know, expecting this thing to move towards more personalization and localization and stuff like that. And in the long run, um, you know, for those users that are willing to give up a substantial amount of privacy, uh, or I should say more <laughs> privacy, uh, then, then, you know, they will have more of a personalized search experience. But... None of the personalized search products I've seen makes that much of a difference in, in your results. I mean, the top ten, you might see three of them swap out in favor of three others. Um, you might see the, the, the deck chairs move around a little bit. And, you know, it's probably not a bad thing if you can no longer say, you know, I'm number one or I'm number three um, all the time. But, um, but I don't know. Uh, for me, I haven't been looking at that stuff for a long time anyway. It's, it's how, how much, how much uh, traffic do we get on this search term or that term and, and, and what happens after we get the traffic? Are we sending it to the right place, or, or are we responding to, you know, whatever is indicated by the search query that, that we get if we get one? So um, I, I think that, that a lot of things will get harder. Analytics will get harder because we will have more people, you know, uh, cutting the refer out and more people blocking cookies and all that other kind of stuff. But, um, I, you know, in terms of what you're going to do in practice on, on your website, it's going to take a long time for this stuff to really catch on enough to where there's a point to changing that. Um, I think there's, well, there's more mileage to be gained by doing things to sort of adapt the user experience on your website based on the user's context than, than there is to try to, you know, to, to second-guess whether, um, you know, if I, if I put this word in the, in the left-hand corner of my page, will I, you know, will I show up for Bob, um, who I'm really after, instead of Betty, who I'm not so interested in having come visit my site. Um, well, well, Dan, I, in, in the same vein, how about new technologies or new, uh, uh, new uh, uh, channels for, for SEOs to look at? Do you see any changes coming in the next 12 to 18 months there? I think local's very interesting. I just... You know, at this point, nobody's done anything interesting from the search engine side with local, <laughs> and it has to happen someday. Um, you know, the, the the personalization, you know, kind of, you know, the, the idea of behavioral targeting and stuff like that, it kind of sorts itself out, I mean, um, and, and kind of works in our favor. I mean, if I've got a website that appeals to a certain demographic or behavioral profile and, and the search engine can somehow figure out 
that you know the people that that are, are, are searching and like me because of that, you know, they're, they're, they'll, they'll probably also probably see more of those people and less of the people that I don't want. So that kind of, you know, probably takes care of itself, and, and we don't really have to do too much about that except build good websites. But, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, new channels, I'm, I'm still very interested in, in seeing, you know, when are the portals going to show up and take off? When is shopping, comparison shopping search really going to show up and take off? And when somebody going to come up with a good value proposition for us like we have now with at least a couple of the engines in the pay-per-click side? Um, and, and when is local not going to mean sending, you know, getting a postcard from Google and punching in a number on a website? I mean, I think that all those things are interesting questions, but I think we're far away from those things being resolved, and I, I don't think that any of the engines are terribly motivated by those things because the advertising revenue that they're chasing right now um, <coughs> is sort of on the traditional web search and on the contextual advertising side. Well, Dan, um, we're rounding towards the bottom of the hour, and I'm getting a message from the producer saying that we got to take it out soon. So we got to take it out soon. Um, I have a well, let me thousand get my, more my questions I'd like to ask. Faststart.com, if I can. That's where people can go and sign up to uh, to get into the SEO Fast Start community, get the free ebook. And what was that URL one more time? It's seofaststart.com. Great, uh, Dan. Thanks so much for being on the show. Again, I wish we had more time and wish I could ask a dozen more questions. Um, where, if people want to come see you speak, where will they see you next? I believe the next time you will see me speak will be at SES in San Jose. Yeehaw, that's going to be fun. Uh, again, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, folks, Dave and I are checking out now. We, uh, we were going to have Aaron Wall on the show, rounding out the half hour, but he got called away to, uh, to deal with a, a client issue. Um, he's going to be on next week. What we do have is two great interviews that uh, Dave and I conducted in at SES New York. The first one was with John Marshall from ClickTracks. Uh, Dave was lucky enough to be able to get 10 minutes with him alone in the press room with a microphone in his hand. And uh, the second one, I was able to spend about 20 minutes with Gregory Markell, um, again, one of the, the long-term uh, SEOs. So... Um, Enjoy the tapes. I think it's probably the most professional radio you're going to hear on the alternatives. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. This is Dave Davies here at SES New York 2007 with John Marshall from ClickTracks. John, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, obviously, a number of questions. You just came out of a session. I know you, you probably had a few good questions there as well. Um, I guess the first thing I'd like to get into is analytics. Where do you see it between, let's say, now and SES New, New York of, of next year? What do you see as, as the big changes in the way things are going to be analyzed? Um, what are we looking for? Um, and is personalization going to affect the way that we're analyzing search behavior and, and search statistics? Wow, great questions. Um, so I think... Uh, Following on from your question about personalization, I think something that is likely to change um, is an increased focus on the ability to analyze known visitor data as opposed to anonymous visitor data. Right now, the state of the industry as it is, um, we're spending a lot of time looking at um, data about visitors that just come to the website. They're anonymous, we don't really know anything about them. But for many companies, um, at some point those visitors that are anonymous become known and they become known because they fill out a form or they do something else that um, identifies themselves to the business. Um, right now, we're not doing a very good job of um, providing different forms of analysis for this, those known visitors. And that, that bleeds into, then, 
personalization because once you know who they are and you know something about them you can start doing personalization um, which you know is a little bit complex but certainly as an initial step um, the known visitor data and the analysis of it um, I think is very important and an example of that is uh, when somebody comes to your website you don't really know very much about where they live you might know the city but you don't know very much else about them if they tell you something about themselves um, say for example their address well now you know the zip code and now you can get some demographic information out of that data and you can correlate that against the online experience and that becomes very powerful so I predict maybe going out on a limb here but I predict um, there'll be some products this time next year that exploit that now on the the click tracks line you have your hosted and log file analysis versions of it Will you be able to integrate this sort of analysis into the, the log file version? Uh, will, will your clients be better served going with the hosted version where you can pull more data? Um, wh what versions do you think are going to be required? And uh, I, as, as an SEO firm, have the, the log file analysis version. Um, what will be provided if it turns out the hosted version is going to be better? What, what's going to be there for the SEOs with the other versions to, to sort of upgrade or switch over? Interesting question. Um, you've always got, you, you've kind of got to um, face the reality that um, log file data capture and JavaScript data capture, um, they work differently um, and they're typically priced differently. So most, most people view the difference between the two as being superficially its price. And then oftentimes people are aware that there are accuracy differences, right? It's, quite, it's arguable that the JavaScript data collection is uh, suffers from less error than log file data collection, although the difference is not as great as most people assume. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of subtlety in what data you can collect. Um, and it may be that, at least for click tracks, it may be that um, in order to provide known visitor data analysis, we would need to move more to a JavaScript data collection model, which I think is going to be unpopular with many people, but there are technical reasons why it's probably necessary. The one thing that we can do, that we would promise to do, is we could migrate all the data from the original log file data sets into a hosted one. So you've got all your historical data. We could do that. Now, as somebody who, who has one of the versions, I know it's constantly being upgraded. I'm constantly downloading new updates for it, installing them with, with some new features. What do we have to expect between, again, now and next year in New York? Are there, are there any new features that you can talk about that are about to launch? Um, well, I feel I should talk about some features that we, we just added. We did a major upgrade. Um, we launched that update. That's version 6.5. We launched that um, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, 6.5 um, in the pro version uh, adds a very important concept, uh, at least I think it's very important, which is um, a constant view of KPIs for your website. That KPI is a key performance indicator. It's something that you choose that reflects um, on an ongoing basis whether your website is successful and, and a, a good KPI to use would be something like how many visitors from search do I have right that would be a good KPI and you basically want that number to be going up so over time that KPI you should be tracking it and KPIs are really um, uh, powerful because of their simplicity it boils many things down to one number it's great at the same time, in an analytical function, you often want to look deeper inside the KPI, drill down into it, and work out not just what's happening, but why it's happening. And that's what ClickTracks has always excelled at, is this ability to do what-if analysis. So in 6.5, we've actually 
join these two things together and you see in a particular report, you'll see your KPIs at the top and your detailed analytical reports below that. And they're always tied together visually. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And I think um, web analytics has become so complex that we felt a need to sort of take a step back and say, um, how can we simplify this without losing the power of what we got? And it turns out that KPIs are a really effective tool for simplifying um, the, the thought process for data without losing the fact that hey, you can really get in there and do the analysis. So that's brand new. And what do you have on, I mean obviously a, a big thing that's been discussed here repeatedly uh, is click fraud. Um, I, I know that ClickTracks does have some, some reporting and, and detection functions in place. Um, where do you see that going in regards to the reporting side of things? Um, what are you looking at? How accurate do you think the system is, ClickTracks, for detecting uh, click fraud? Um, those are just... Those are just excellent questions. This is an excellent prelude to my session tomorrow afternoon. I'm on the I'm in the session tomorrow afternoon on um, click fraud analysis. Um, the the approach that ClickTracks takes to click fraud analysis um, is is pretty simple. Um, we don't use blacklists of IP addresses. We don't uh, we don't do a lot of the things that um, are are claimed to be the weapon that you should use against click fraud. The method that we use against click fraud um, is statistical analysis of all of your campaigns and we're looking for outliers in the data. And, and basically what happens is when a campaign has got a lot of click fraud, um, its data moves to the edge of the range of expected things. Now being a bit vague here because you can't just look at one data point to work this out. You need to look at multiple data points. and uh, uh, obviously a piece of software is very good at looking at lots and lots of data points simultaneously. So the ClickTracks product, the, the way we approach click fraud is we look at about a dozen different data points for each campaign and we look at and we, we highlight a suspect, any campaign which seems to be an outlier. Now the interesting thing about that approach is that also tells you about campaigns which are going which are not going to convert. Because the same data that exposes the campaign as having lots of click fraud turns out to be exactly the same type of data that you get when a campaign just is never going to convert or, or produce you know, enough meaningful conversions. So what the tool does in the end is um, the tool alerts you to campaigns which are outside the normal range of what you expect. And that's all it does because the underlying reason for why it's outside the range might be click fraud or it might be just simply that you constructed a really bad ad campaign and um, in the past I think people assumed that um, ROI analysis would get you this data it turns out that ROI on its own just isn't good enough there are too many campaigns with zero ROI so if you have yet another campaign with zero ROI nobody notices so you need other data points, and that's what the uh, click fraud analysis technique uses. And uh, it's very effective, very, very effective at, at, at picking that out. The one thing that it doesn't do, which I think people expect it to, is it doesn't magically tell you this campaign has click fraud. That's going too far. You need, human, you need a human being to examine the campaign and understand the reason for the problems. 
Now, I know we're, we're running a little low on time, which is which is a shame because I have a ton of questions for you, but I, I'm going to end with, with one. What do you think of the number 0.02%? It's a very low number. <laughs> That's a very good answer. Thank you very much. That was John Marshall speaking with uh, Dave Davies. He's from ClickTracks uh, Web Analytics. Thank you very much. The Alternative on We'll be back after this short commercial break. Generating buzz for your company is essential and now easier than ever with PaperPost, the consumer-generated advertising network. Our powerful network of bloggers at PaperPost will creatively expose your product or service through original link-generated ads and embedding video or audio on their sites. Launch your viral marketing campaigns with confidence and enjoy increased traffic with higher conversion rates only through PaperPost. Visit PaperPost.com and join the revolution. Vive la revolution! Howdy, boys, and you girls, too. I'm here to talk to you about Milnick Media, the best CPA network, period. They sure know how to deliver, and I know something about deliverance. Now, you want to get paid? Damn right you do. We'll make sure you get your money. Support people who know their ass from their elbow. Need a new jet ski? How about one of them new Fangle Plasma TVs? Well, Cousin Jeremy here will hook you up with our Performance Rewards Program. Email submits, zip submits, ringtones, hell, we got them all. Yeehaw! Hey there, it's Cousin Jeremy. Get on over to M-I-L-L-N-I-C-Media.com and we'll have you so happy you'll be squealing like a pig. Are your ads managing you? Tired of click fraud and little or no ROI on your pay-per-click search ads? Take control. Reduce your costs and gain valuable traffic with effective flat fee featured listings on over 245 search engines and web directories from the ISEDN.org, the independent search engine and directory network. Now free yourself from click fraud, bidding and hassles with low cost top 10 exposure for less than $4 a month from ISEDN. So visit ISEDN.org today and discover how easy it is maximizing your company's online revenue stream with affordable search engine and directory flat fee ads from the ISEDN.org. And now, transport back into the alternative on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host, Jim Hedger. This is Jim Hedger reporting for webmasterradio.fm, live from New York Search Engine Strategies. Um, I'm sitting in the press room, and as you can as you can hear, it's a crowded, loud press room with Gregory Markel, one of the original SEOs, one of the guys who was first in the game. He's the founder and president of Infuse Creative. Um, Gregory is, as I said, he was one of the originals. He started in 19, 1995, Gregory, 1994. Right, right, right before the uh, AltaVistas and the Lycos of the world debuted. <laughs> what was in 1994? What was there on the web in the way of search? Well, exactly. This, actually, this question has come up recently. So where we were coming from was, um, believe it or not, I mean, I can remember sitting in front of a screen wondering how we could um, optimize postings on message boards. Remember the 14.4 message boards? So personally, I kind of think back to that mindset, which was like 90... What it? it might have still been 94. But 93, 94, maybe. Part of the 94, anyways. Um... Uh, you carried over that mindset. It's like, how can you optimize messaging? Which is really, is really what search is about today, whether it's SEO or paid search. It's optimizing messaging. So we're back in 1994. You're, you're looking at the message boards. What is it that gets it into your head? 
I want to optimize this. I want to, I want to change this and affect it. Actually, it was really simple. <laughs> I actually had a job as a webmaster at a, at a, a real estate uh, design hosting company, and which was very, you know, very a very new thing. Uh, everybody was overwhelmed by the technology, like oh, the internet, etc. And um, I was a terrible webmaster. It's that simple. And um, that was always sort of nagging at me. I wasn't very good as a webmaster. And then uh, the salesman needed an, an angle to sell services. It just, you know, it was competitive. And, and plus, people were, well, the internet, what? Why do I need to be on the internet? What is it? You know, that kind of thing. So um, uh, started to, uh, working with AltaVista and, and Lycos, which were brand new, Started to, started to wonder about how you got into these things, these search engines, and what you had to do to have a better shot at being found. And people, you know, there were people on the fringe. If you research this, you'll find it, that around 94, 95, people were st starting to write about SEO. And um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, they didn't believe that. And so I had to, like, myself, I had to go back and, like, find some references and send them to them, you know. And so uh, somehow I heard about it. And I told uh, the sales guy at the company, I said, you know, give me a couple of weeks to, to figure out what this is, and maybe it'll help us. You know, and at that time, man, that was an amazing time. Because if you just got your titles right, you know, you would be number one. You'd own Alta Vista for, you know, Newport Beach real estate. I mean, it was, there was like very little competition, and it was so easy to get rankings. And linking was not really a factor. It was like all on-page, on-site criteria. And... Um, so it was it was the wild west there in terms of like just like you know creating sites and sending them out and having them rank. It was just it was fait accompli. You know that you knew that it would happen, and it gave the company a, an edge uh, over their competition. Even though everyone was fledgling, because like I say, you know they were trying to sell websites to. Uh, you can see the quotation marks on the radio here, but um, uh, trying to sell websites to people who didn't really even know what a website was or what the internet was or why they would would, would need would need one. You know, but it was an interesting time. Some of those sites, by the way, uh, still uh, rank. Like if you go to uh, Google and type in Newport Beach real estate, you'll find Leanne Kennedy uh, and the same site from you know 10 years ago. Uh, which actually has been taken over by a Vancouver-based company. So, flashing ahead, uh, uh, 13 years. Back in the day, you were working with Lycos, you were working with AltaVista. Yahoo comes on the scene about 10 years ago. That changes things slightly. But 13 years later, SEO is so much more complicated. Back then, you say it was titles and tags. Today, what are, what are your most important factors? Well, it depends what a client's going after. Um, if it's brand-related, then you have a pretty good shot of getting a brand listing for uh, as long as the site's built decently and the brand is, is prevalent throughout all the usual suspect areas of a website and you have a few reinforcing uh, links from uh, directories, then brands themselves are not too difficult unless there happens to be a tremendous amount of uh, competition against the brand uh, by, some other, by, by uh, external entities, let's say. Um, one, thing that, one example of that that comes to mind is uh, the work we did for Lord of the Rings. The official movie website actually had an initial very difficult time of getting ranked because there had already been this plethora and this, this massive amount of existing, pre-existing um, Tolkien uh, and uh, uh, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings reference websites and then a massive amount of existing or pre-existing e-commerce, third-party e-commerce sites selling Lord of the Rings. So, so the official 
film comes out with an official website and they, they, they can't be found, right? So um, that's an example of how where brand can sometimes be challenging if there's an existing uh, 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 competition base for it. So uh, how do we do it now these, day, these days? Uh, everybody listening to this program is probably going to know that. Uh, you have to have uh, relevant on-page content and on-site content. It's got to be thematically consistent and relevant throughout the site. Um, and it has to, the, the amount to which you have to, to, to go uh, to reach that point depends on the noise level of your competition. If it turns out your competition is doing everything poorly, then you can be less aggressive and do relatively well. If your competition is doing, doing well, uh, then you've got to uh, line up all your SEO ducks in terms of the on-page and, and on-site, right? And then in addition to that, as everybody knows, nowadays linking is just radically important. There's so many ways that you can do that now beyond just directory listings. Um, that's a huge part. And for some clients, especially rich media sites, uh, flash sites, things like that, depending on what their key phrases are, uh, you know, just basic optimization, but c uh, backed up with a decent linking strategy, can uh, often, uh, uh, you know, achieve the uh, the marketing goals. But what I've just given you is really sort of a generic response to, to optimization, right? Where things have changed, I'll, I'll tie the two time periods together now. Where they've changed from 1994 and 2007 is. It's less about the generic response or the um, uh, cookie-cutter template approach and actually starting with what the client's specific success metrics are. So we assess every... We, we won't even get into making changes to the website until we have a complete dialogue on what are your measured success metrics. What are your goals? You know, do you have a cost per acquisition? Do you have a cost per order? Um, do you, do you uh, uh, have a, a, a volume uh, request? You, you, let's say, for example, that you want um, you know, 2,000 organically delivered leads per month at a maximum cost per acquisition of, of so-and-so, right? We actually have these conversations now first. And then the, the, the answers to those conversations, the outcome of those conversations, determine what direction you're going to go. You determine how much organic SEO you might do, do, or linking you might have to do, or page search strategies, et cetera, et cetera, or even some of the more um, uh, adventurous and kind of uh, uh, cool stuff that's out there right now. Like, for example, we have a nonprofit client whose budget is extremely uh, limited, extremely challenged. So one thing we've done is... Uh, taken advantage, because of that, it's taken advantage of their, you know, we do, it, we do an inventory assessment of what they have that we might be able to, to, to work on for them and, and deliver some, uh, some results, right? One of those things was, is they had a pretty massive existing uh, video inventory of these educational videos that they had made for their website, and they really hadn't done anything with the, those beyond that. So we started submitting these to all the video search engines and multiple search engines, not, not just the big name engines, which is a, a really important point because we find often that uh, you can get significant view numbers out of video search engines that people haven't heard of. So we actually submit to quite a few engines and, and we track as well, which is still kind of labor intensive. There's no uh, automated way to do that as of yet. And I, I don't anticipate the video engines are going to automate anytime, or excuse me, standardize anytime soon because they're all in competition with each other. So we built our own little interface, which we might commercialized, by the way, and make available to the public later this year. And this nonprofit, for no cost per click action, right, because with video search, there's no, there's no cost per click involved, they got 250,000 views in two months, which, by the way, was a higher number than some of our entertainment clients for their video, which is, you know, probably a comment on the popularity of, of uh, their particular film, let's say, at that time. But that's an example of how, instead of, uh, you know, in 1994... It'd be like, okay, where's your website? What are your keywords? And here's what you're ranking for, you know? 
And then that was pretty much it. I mean, we didn't have a lot of ROAS or ROI conversations back then, really. It was all about sort of ranking. That was the, so now it's kind of, now it's, 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 it's the opposite. You start out with these kind of success metric defining conversations and dialogues and establishing all those success metrics first. And then you know what? It may not actually be the smartest thing for you to immediately go into a major SEO spend. It might be smarter for you to do, like one type of client that comes to mind is, um, uh, there might be something to be learned for, from doing a, a, a test a PPC or a lead generation campaign, let's say, first to see what keywords are the most converting uh, and w uh, what makes sense keyword-wise and, 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 and how are they tied into what landing pages that converted the best. And then let's take those learnings, which come from a, you know, a, a regulated minimal spend, and, and let's take those learnings and then figure out how, they, how we can port them over to an SEO endeavor because maybe your site is actually all rich media. Maybe you're a corporate site that's all flash and you're not going to see a lot of bang uh, from an SEO perspective as long as it is all flash, you know. When you go into meetings with, uh, with uh, oh, first off, let me take a step back. Uh, Eddie, you're going to want to edit this part. Gregory, you're known for working with some of the, some of the largest brands in the world. Well, well, I know you can't actually talk about some of those brand names. Oh, some you can, okay. Um, I'm curious, when you go into these initial meetings, you're, you're, you're speaking with the marketing department, the finance department, and the IT department at the same time, who is defining the metrics to whom? Do you talk, tell them what, how they should measure, or are they telling you what they want? Okay, so speaking generically, um, I will say that it is surprising that in the year 2007, the majority of these large companies and their marketing departments don't know their baseline metrics. So I'd say about seven, eight out of ten times, are, we're tasked with actually walking them down that path of understanding what baseline metrics are and then helping them establish them so that we have a starting point that we can tune from based on what their, their goals are, their marketing goals are. So, so that, that, that's, that's an important, important point, an important uh, evolutionary walk for a client to get to the point where they realize they do have to assign values to things. Now, why is it that, the, again, speaking generally, that some of the largest, most powerful corporations in the world don't get it when it comes to search marketing? What are they missing? Well, with all the automation, all the great tools, many of which you and I understand fairly easily and, 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 and well, to the average marketer, it still is mumbo-jumbo voodoo. It, they, they still, uh, in, in a way, uh, some of the technology, search technology companies have failed to successfully create something that translates to someone who has two minutes to understand a marketing strategy or a concept or a success metric. They don't have hours. I mean, I, I, a particular executive comes to mind for me right now. And honestly, he wants to understand in about 30 seconds how the campaign is doing. You know, uh, we've, we've had to uh, sort of uh, uh, refine and refine and refine until we got to this kind of, you know, up-down key indicator that he understood the definition of. And, and I think, uh, and it works for him, but we had to get to that point, you know. Uh, and I think the technology, search technology companies and the reporting companies and the conversion tracking companies, they still haven't come up with like, a re like reporting for dummies, you know? What do, uh, what do the executives need to know 
Like you, you, you can give them metrics on everything to do with their website, but what do they need to know? Well, I'll discuss two types of clients right now, um, both of which uh, represent large spending clients. First type is a branding awareness client. So it's gone. Those that type of client over the last three years has gone from uh, extremely fuzzy ROI, almost almost irrelevant ROI, uh, because it really was just about they're they're coming from a television model, just branding and impressions, that kind of thing, which is extremely fuzzy in its nature. It's gone from that to uh, now assigning values. If if uh, if you even if a, a monetary value can't be assigned to a particular visitor action or behavior, then we might assign a plus-minus scale of some kind, so that we can at least start segmenting these success metrics as either uh, uh, monetarily valued or plus-minus, right, or up-down, so that we can move the branding awareness. Uh, advertiser in the direction of a measured campaign and make it more like an e-commerce campaign. So to answer your question, that type of client, a branding awareness executive or client, is looking for uh, simple indicators that make sense to him that his objectives have been met. It might be something like 100,000 uniques in one month at an average cost per click of X cents uh, and 35% of them viewed the most uh, important part of the website, uh, or the web part of the website that was most important to that company or that executive, right? That's a branding awareness client in 2007. It might be something like that, um, keeping it, you know, t relatively top level. Now, for a lead generation client, completely different. State-of-the-art lead generation clients are are now uh, very adept and very educated at knowing all of the key indicators uh, uh, that are, are, are part and parcel to doing a lead generation client. What, you know, what is the maximum, what's the maximum cost per acquisition or maximum cost per lead governor by which the entire search campaign is run? And, and did we also meet the uh, lead volume goals within a, a given time? So did we spend under what they wanted us to spend and did we deliver the type of goals, or excuse me, the type of leads that they anticipated in terms of quality leads and volume of leads within a certain time frame. And nowadays, it goes even uh, on beyond that if you're, um, if you're doing a good job. Uh, search companies are kind of like full-service uh, marketing companies in the sense that with that type of client, we'll also track their full sales cycle. So we might deliver a lead, a search lead online, uh, and uh, normally, uh, at one point, it used to stop there back in the day, right? Now, we'll, see, we'll, we'll actually track that lead thereafter and see if that lead converts to a sale, let's say, for a healthcare company within the next 90 days. And then we'll track that cost uh, from the, uh, the cost per lead to sale and a separate cost per sale. Uh, and report those numbers. And for anybody listening, working with these types of clients, that last bit of information is super important, and here's why. Tracking that information allowed us uh, to take a client's television money for the first time in their history and move it to search because we were able to prove to them that the search channel was delivering a lower cost per sale than a direct TV spend or a radio spend, let's say. And if we hadn't tracked that entire sales cycle, which, uh, which in involves an offline process, which not too many search companies uh, think about or do, we wouldn't have that information to then show the client that they actually should be spending more money on, on search. And once, the client, once we gave the client the data uh, for them to understand that it was their most successful uh, lead to sales channel, then it was a no-brainer, you know? As a... Uh as the year moves forward, I, 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 I think that it seems obvious that, that advertisers, um, website owners, large and small businesses are going to 
learn more, understand more, and um, well, and and want different measurables from their companies. Now, thinking about smaller SEO firms, uh, firms that are just starting up, how is the uh, the bar to entry into the field is it getting higher and higher and how hard is it for people to, to jump in it depends what type of client you're, you're trying to target but if, if it's a lower spend client let's say anywhere from uh, a thousand to five thousand a month let's say I mean here's what I think is happening and what's going to happen um, agencies really still exist because they're playing upon the clients pain it's, it's either the whole process is too difficult to understand it's too complicated uh, or it's too labor-intensive, or they don't have the manpower to provide the services, so they'll outsource it. Now, if it's a, uh, a fuzzy ROI client, then they see value in just paying someone to do what they'd rather not do or they're not capable of doing or they don't understand uh, uh, what it takes to do it, right? If it's a um, highly measured uh, ROAS and ROI client, then it's a different set of, of metrics, whether it's that low spending client or a high spending, it's really the same. And that's a, an SEO firm has to show the client and prove to them that they're making them money or moving them in the direction of making them money and they have to do it quickly. So, so this is what I would advise a, uh, a, a, a an SEO firm that's maybe targeting one to five thousand dollars spend clients to do. Uh, it's critical in, in the initial assessment to honestly understand the client's pain points. Oh, you want to deliver how many? You you want to get how many leads per month? Uh, and you're only getting uh, you say you want to get hundred and you're only getting uh, fifteen. Okay, okay, we understand that. That's an important thing to understand. And you're spending how much per month currently? Oh, and it's way too much. You're actually losing money. Okay, that we understand and we're acknowledging. What what I'm emphasizing to you here, Jim, is that SEO companies can't just provide a cookie cutter service or or give someone lip service. You actually have to understand their their pain points, what's wrong with their current efforts, or what's missing with their current efforts, and then you have to show the client how you're going to change that. Okay, this is what you're doing now, but this is how we're going to do it so that we can meet your success metrics. Be, you know, let's, in this example, 100 leads per month, let's say, at a maximum cost per acquisition of $15, right? And then once you start the campaign and hopefully you tune it in the direction of meeting those metrics, you have to make sure the client understands your success. And if they don't understand it, you're failing. You have to make sure they understand it. Because once the client does, they make that leap, right? And, and, and this is for an SEO firm of any, any size. Um, then the client gets it. They realize you're their, you're their best friend because you're delivering leads. You're actually making them money. And the conversation completely changes moving forward. And they, the client wants to know, well, how can we, you know, how, how can I spend more to generate more leads? That kind of thing. So it's understanding the initial client's needs, understanding their pain points, addressing their pain points specifically, not with um, blah, blah, blah talk or technical talk uh, or cookie cutter talk, but specific, this is what we're going to do to change this for you. And then executing that plan and showing the client uh, we implemented our changes to meet these success metrics, and this month we're happy to tell you we reached the lead volume goal at the maximum cost per, or, and we came in under the maximum cost per acquisition. It's that kind of thing. And whether you're a small company or not, uh, that's what you're going to have to do. Now, now, branding awareness clients are much easier. If it's just somebody that wants to be found, you know, then you can do that in your sleep. But uh, it's it's becoming challenging for for measured clients. That's for sure. Thirteen years in, um, you've had an illustrious career. You've uh, you're one of the better known search marketers. Are you still having fun? Do you still really enjoy the field? Um, I'll tell you what I have the most fun with these days is um, the opportunity to come up with creative campaigns. 
an example of that would be uh, a conquesting campaign that we did for Mazda, I can talk about, because it has been written about, uh, where we knew that Pontiac was going to advertise on The Apprentice. They spent six million bucks for, uh, to be on The Apprentice, yeah, and, um, and also for commercials on The Apprentice. We knew about it, and we knew that they had a partnership with Yahoo, where they were going to advertise on television, go to Yahoo and type an Apprentice card. So we thought, well, of course, we're going to run a, a paid search campaign, but we're gonna, it's going to be a conquesting campaign, because at that time, you could still use trademark keywords. And we delivered uh, uh, Pontiac and Apprentice show related visitors to a page that compared uh, the Mazda Miata with the Pontiac Solstice, uh, which hadn't been done in search before. It was wildly successful. Uh, it, it was such a big deal with Mazda that they had an international town hall for it. And we put a funny video together where uh, we cut in some Donald Trump video from The Apprentice telling the uh, head of Pontiac Marketing that you're fired. You know, and uh, and then Danny Danny Sullivan wrote about the campaign. John Battelle wrote about the campaign, and then Pontiac and their agency complained to Yahoo, and Yahoo changed their trademark, uh, their keyword trademark policy as a result. Yeah, that was that wasn't too good. But so what turns me on these days, uh, in line with your question, is stuff that's that's cr a creative use of search. Uh, some video related stuff these days represents that for me. Um, some mobile. Um, but uh, creative uses of search, that, that's what, you know, kind of putting a, bringing a different mindset to a campaign. Or, or like one client we had that wanted to generate online leads and track them offline to an offline sale. That was fun. That was creative. You don't normally do that. Um, that was interesting to me. And then also technology, uh, search-related technology interests me these days. Um, I, I, I'm working on an idea that will make uh, not just web content, but web content, digital content, and physical media, uh, keyword searchable. And that would be quite a world uh, to wake up in the morning and, and say, uh, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't find my wallet. And you go to the browser and you type in wallet. And under your personal belongings subset, uh, it lists your wallet. And it tells you that it's in the master bedroom of your guest house in Big Bear. Uh, so, and that, that day will come. That, that kind of stuff interests me these days. Excellent. I'm afraid we have to wrap it up, Don Gregory. Um, this is uh, Jim Hedger with Gregory Markell um, at SES New York. Gregory, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Jim. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.